Welcome to 239 Uncensored. Everything Southwest Florida and beyond with your host, Tim Jurett. This podcast covers it all. Real talk on issues from real estate to real crime. Join the discussion on hot topics to politics. Don't get left behind. Be in the know about everything Southwest Florida and beyond. Welcome, welcome, welcome to 239 Uncensored, everything Southwest Florida and beyond. And we have a super guest uh, in the, not in the studio, but she's, she's on the phone. And I met Lindsay a long time ago. We're going to talk a little bit about it way back in Atlanta, Georgia. Lindsay, are you on the phone? I sure am. How are you? I, I'm doing great. It's so good to talk to you. I mean, it's it's been a long time. I know we had a little discussion last week, but, you know, you're out there in Arizona. What, what's what's the weather like compared to, you know, Florida? Uh, hot. Uh, with altitude, <laughs> let me tell you. <laughs> it's, it's hot. Uh, whoever, yeah, whoever said it was a dry heat, uh, they sold me a bill of goods because that is not true. <laughs> they that too. Hey, it's but it's it's good. It's a dry heat, you know, but it's yeah. hot. Like like what like what is like the temperature there? Well, today, um, when I went to pick my son up from school this afternoon, it was 106 degrees. 106. And, oh my yeah, god. Yeah, and. In the morning, it tricks you because it's been cooling off in the mornings, but it's it's probably been like in the 70s, 80s in the mornings, and okay. then afternoon, it just ramps up, and you're reminded that you live on the surface of the sun. <laughs> that's it. That's it. So, yeah, in Florida, it teases you, too. It's like, oh, this might be a day because you got like a little breeze, and then by the time it's 11, 12 o'clock, we're just smoked. You know, it's like, oh, I can't wait for, I can't wait for fall, so... But, uh, you know, yeah. So it's great having you on. A little bit about Lindsay. She was involved in an officer-involved shooting, and I, it was back October 29th, 2018. I think I get that date right. Is that correct? I'm sure you remember it. Oh, I remember it. Yeah, 2.54 p.m., if I may add. <laughs> you remember it. And, you know, Lindsay, obviously, she's here to talk about this. And, you know, we had a, a couple discussions, and, and, you know, I met Lindsay way back – I. Probably 2000. Do you remember? Do you remember the, the time when that was back it up in was, Atlanta? I was teaching a class. It was actually 2006. I'd actually taken two classes at Haida okay, in Atlanta. Yeah, yeah. I worked at the time. I worked for Gwinnett County Police Department, which is about 20, 25 miles northeast of the city of Atlanta. And I ended up taking two classes from you. I think like a narcotics and a gangs class from you. Unbelievable. That's awesome. And I remember you're like, you know, I always look for someone, hey, let's go to lunch. Let's do this. We usually get a group of people together. And I do remember you so well that you just were, you were a, a new officer, fairly new. I think um, you had just been on the job for a couple of years. I just remember you just had like all this liveliness and excited and, and just willing, willingness to learn and you know, do, do what you know, law enforcement officers do go to class and pay attention and have a great time. And yeah, it was, I know I did a narcotics class and a gang class up there for, for high intensity, uh, drug trafficking, whatever that A is, but, right. <laughs> but we, we take a lot of those classes, but I do remember it and it was, it was really neat. So you were in a, you were in the Atlanta, greater Atlanta area, Gwinnett County. Can you tell us a little bit about that department when you worked there? 
Oh, I had a great time at Gwinnett County. I mean, I was 24 when I started. So, you know, I was, like you said, I was ready to learn. I was eager. I had a whole bunch of energy, which is very different at 41 and two kids. <laughs> um, but um, Gwinnett, so it's a it's a large county. I believe Gwinnett's the largest county in Georgia. Wow. And uh, at the time, um, Gwinnett County had five districts. I believe they have six now. And they were a department of about mm, 650 officers. Okay. Okay. It's about the size, and, actually about the size of the county. You know, we have, yeah, it's just about the same as, as Collier County okay. down by us. Yep. Yep. Okay. And yeah, and I, I worked in uh, Southside. Uh, that's our district one. And um, it was our smallest district, but it was our busiest district. So uh, when you got out of academy and you were assigned there, I mean, you hit the ground running. Um, I actually remember helping a canine guy on a track one time. And after we were finished, he asked me, he says, hey, how long have you been on the department now? And I said, oh, about two years. And he was like, really? He says, I feel like you've been on longer just because of your demeanor and how you get out here and you handle calls. And he says, you know what? I know what it is. It's because you work at Westside because you you go, 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 go the whole time you're here. He says, do me a favor. When you see one of your academy mates that's at one of our other districts, like at the time, East Side, North Side was some of our slower um, districts at the time. Talk to them and ask them how many calls a day they take and ask them the type of calls that they've taken. And I bet you, you take twice as many calls. Yep. You've handled way more, um, you know, hot tone type calls than they have. And sure enough, I did that. And I was like, wow. Okay. When I told them we were handling 19, 20 calls a day, they looked at us like we were crazy. And they're like, we're getting like eight. What are you talking about? <laughs> You're doing all those, <laughs> all those reports and all that paperwork. Well, what we try to do is we try to take new recruits when they first get out and make sure they're in those uh, busier districts. Because when you put them you know, in a slower district, not a, not that many calls. I mean, yeah. we can't do everybody like that because, unfortunately, mm-hmm. everybody in the same districts. But we try to put them in those districts where they're busy because, ultimately, by the end of a year or two, for sure, you kind of seen most everything. Not not everything, obviously, but yeah. most everything. So it it's really a good a good thing from a leadership standpoint to try to put your folks, your younger troops, in these districts so they can get exposure and experience and see things that they might not see in other other districts or you know areas of, of town or within the agency yeah i definitely agree with that I, I did see a lot within those first few years i'm very grateful for you know being thrown into the fire so to speak because uh, you know you had to shake any sort of timidness that you had you, you had to shake it quick real quick and right? there just there was yeah there was no room for that you had to you know you had to you know set the tone as soon as you stepped out of the car and you know being a female um, it was a little different because I kept hearing stories of, oh, you know, this type of call may be dangerous or this male from this cultural background may have issues with you for this, right. you know, reason or the other. But I mean, overall, I never experienced anything overly crazy, but I think I did a good job without being harsh or disrespectful of setting the tone and being like, hey, hey, remember your life got so out of control that a third party had to be called to come control it. I'm just here to solve a problem. I can leave. I like that. (laughs) I like that. Yeah. (laughs) You know, and you know, like how you talk to people is a huge thing. Sometimes it doesn't matter how nice you are. It's you're going to get it. But Mm -hmm. that initial contact and and we talk about it in the classes, that initial Mm -hmm. contact, if you're, if you're doing narcotics and you use that, you know, that courtesy, that, you know, discussion, 
that first initial contact, obviously you can get a lot more. But but not everybody's going to listen to you just because you have a badge or star on. It's just not going to yeah. be that way. 100%. 100%. Yeah. And, and I really remember, like, I was very impressed because I, I remember looking at you just super, super squared away and eager and just surround yourself, it looked like, with, with some pretty cool people. And, and you were there to, you know, have a good time but learn and, and mm-hmm. do the right things. Now, I would like to know how you ended up going from Gwinnett County, from Atlanta, to where you ended up, where, where you are now in, in Arizona. You know, that's kind of interesting. Yeah, I know. Trust me. <laughs> Every summer I say that. <laughs> um, well, actually, I so I was at about the four and a half year mark at Gwinnett when I left. And um, I was just kind of I don't know. I think I was just searching for something new. Uh, I was kind of at a point where I was unhappy a lot. But I, I was about 27, I believe, okay. when I kind of picked up on that and you know, I was in that mindset of, okay, I have to go to a new place. A new place will make things better. Um, but what I realized is, you know, you take you with you. So a new place might be great. And then the newness wears off. Right. And then there you are again, if you're not doing work on yourself. So I knew I kind of wanted to do something different. And I had a cousin that just happened to live out here. Okay. And he kept telling me for like a year, you should come out and visit. You should come check it out. I think you'd love it out here. And especially once he found out I was, you know, interested in moving. And I was like, Arizona, I don't want to go to Arizona. You know, it's hot. (laughs) You know, there's no trees. Um, And that's just not something. Yeah, that's just not something I don't think I could do. So he says, just come out here and, and, and see what you think. So came out. Um, I came out in April of 2007, actually. And it was nice. I said, okay, this is not bad, not bad. Um, you know, they, the, the streets are on a grid system here, so it's very easy to get around. Right. I mean, you could drive five to ten minutes from your house and go for a nice hike. You could mountain bike. So there were a lot of pluses. So I kind of went home, thought about it, and then um, he has a friend who does executive uh, security out here. And he says, hey, these are some departments my buddy told uh, me to talk to you about. Um, one of them was Paradise Valley, okay, which is a small um, police department in a very affluent area. And then the other one was Tempe. So I'm looking at both of them. And, you know, what people forget is, and I know you, you've heard this throughout your career, you know, officers, we like to fuss about pay. Right. Right. And it's like and I tell people all the time I've worked in two different parts of the country and pay is relative depending on where you're coming from. Right. So coming from Georgia, I was getting a pay raise coming out to Arizona. It didn't matter what department I went to. Mm-hmm. I was getting a pay raise. So, you know, me being greedy, I was like, hmm. Dollar signs, dollar signs. Yeah. Who's paying more? <laughs> well, it just happened. Paradise Valley was paying more. So that's who I put my application in with. It went well. They were fantastic. Uh, apparently, they have a budget that other police departments don't because they flew me out here, put me up in a nice what? hotel. Yeah. They that's flew me unbelievable. Out here like twice. I know. <laughs> and put me up in a nice, oh, one of their, their smaller resorts. And it was, it was nice. And boom, I got hired. Um, so I ended up moving out here. I believe it was either March or April of 2008 is okay. when I moved out here. Okay. Um, it's funny because Paradise Valley is a very small police department. I mean, it's not a city. It is a town. It's the town of Paradise Valley. Um, 
it's only, I think like 16 square miles or something like that. And when I was there, there were about 28 officers there. And I believe that included the chief also. That's why they flew you. They had the ability to do that. Like, right. We you need know? you. We need Lindsay out here. So we're going to fly her out twice. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Well, the, <laughs> the funny thing is at the time, and I don't know if it's still like this, but at the time when I got hired, they were only hiring out-of-state laterals. No kidding. Um, and I think going back to what you were saying earlier about getting those newer officers into a lot, you know, in a, in a shorter period of time, it would be very hard for a brand new officer to go through an academy and really learn anything on the street at Paradise Valley. Um, it, it's a great department. I felt for more seasoned officers, maybe even an officer, you know, we had officers who had retired from police departments and, went and there. then just, yeah. Yeah, and then went there just right. to, to hump his own. Right. And so, you know, I, and I always said like, I could see myself doing this in like the last, like, you know, five, three to five years of my career. Um, but I went from, you know, running and gunning, boom, 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 to calls to cricket, cricket. Cricket. It drove you, you crazy. Know? It drove. I it, know you. It, it drove it you crazy. Yeah. It did. And I. And you know the worst part is, is I'm not a traffic person. So <laughs> it is tons of traffic. That's perfect. If you love DUIs, because people would come through the town of Paradise Valley, going from Scottsdale and the Phoenix, and vice versa, going to the clubs and stuff. But I'm not a traffic person. So it was, you know, it was a little boring. You know, no foot chases, uh, things like that. Uh, coming through there, but I met some great officers who I'm still friends with today. I mean, I was just texting one yesterday. I mean, we see each other as often as we can, but it was nice because you literally had officers from all over the country. That's pretty cool. I mean, I'm cool. talking yeah. from Alaska to LAPD, a few different cities in Illinois, NYPD. Uh, we had Memphis, Tennessee, and me from Georgia. I mean, all over. So it made for a good group of people at the end of the day. Good, good mixing, good mixing pop. And I, I can, I can guarantee you after the first couple nights, you were like, okay, where's the narcotics? Where's the guns? Who's coming? Where's the pursuit? Who's coming through town? You know, I can yeah. just see you. I can see you. Yeah. yeah, it was, and it was good. But the residents, I will say the full-time residents were great. They really, um, you know, they would support the police department. Um, anytime you are called, they would be offering you things. One of the resorts would throw barbecues and stuff like that nice. for the police department to show their support and things. So it was a really good place and a fun place to work. And I even like to call it like my introductory department to being in Arizona and deciding I was going to stay. And I ended up at Tempe. Um, I went to a conference in September of 2008 called ABLE, and that stands for the um, Arizona Black Law Enforcement Employees. Okay. And so um, I walked in there, <laughs> and it's at a hotel uh, over um, on the Phoenix uh, Paradise Valley border, and I see a sea of Black people, right? <laughs> okay. Which, and I'm going to explain what I mean by that, because coming from Atlanta to Arizona at the time, I mean, the, the black population has grown out here. I'm back home. It was still far between. <laughs> yeah, home. it was still far between. I right, mean, right. I, if, I, if I was walking around and I saw another black person, I'm like, hey, hey, what's up? Can we, can we be friends? Can we be friends? Uh, do, do we know each other? <laughs> yeah. Right. And so I walked in there and I was like, oh, my goodness. Like, this is, this is great. So, you know, it's funny because the people that I met – 
in that room that day were there for me when I um, had my retirement ceremony. In Unbelievable. That's um, you really know, we neat. made, you know, we re- made really good bonds. We connected. I met some great people. I mean, people that are now mentors for me that are helping me still um, as I do, you know, move into this new chapter of my life. Um, and that's actually where I met um, Jeff Glover, who I should say is now interim chief Jeff Glover with Tempe Police Department Fantastic. and um, Charles Cobbs, who was our uh, was the community um, affairs person for Tempe. I met them. We kind of got to chit chatting and one conversation led, led to another. And I ended up at Tempe. Bam, you were there. So yeah. so. Now, let me ask you this real quick for those law enforcement officers that are listening now. If you were to go from Atlanta to Arizona to Paradise or Tempe, what what was required? Was there an academy or just a short crossover, like some legal classes you had to take, or what was involved with that? Just the um, post-equivalency okay. exam. Because okay. uh, I basically told them if I had to go through another academy, I was not coming. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to do that again. <laughs> not going to do push-ups on the you know, hot pavement in Arizona. No. <laughs> exactly. I paid my dues. I did my 20 weeks right. in Georgia. I had a fantastic right. time, but I was a little bit older, a little more attitude. I don't know that I would have survived uh, Academy out here, So, yeah, <laughs> just to I be honest. You. I got you. Well, no, that's pretty neat. I, lo- I love how that leads up the story. How many years had you been on before you were involved in the shooting and maybe we can kind of like go and lead up to that, uh, to the day of the shooting, a little bit of, you know, information there to, for the listeners. So at the time of the shooting, I had roughly, I'd say I was at the 14 and a half year mark. Wow. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And you know, that's kind of interesting It's 14, 15 years. That's, that's common, you know, for right. people to get involved <laughs> in a shooting when they're on 14 or 15. I mean, that's very mm-hmm. common. You know, that's one of the, one of the things. So you had worked a long time out there in Tempe mm-hmm. and kind of bring us to that day, you know, kind of what, what was it like in the morning when you left your house all the way up through the time of the shooting and, you know, just kind of give us a feel for that because obviously you didn't plan on it, but when you leave that house every day, I know I think about it, not every day, but I think about mm-hmm. it a lot. Like, Hey, I might be saying goodbye to my family for the last, you know, the last time, you know, kind of bring us to that. Well, so the, the before I get to the actual shooting, I kind of have to start, um, nine days prior to the shooting on, on on October 20th. So that was, I believe that was a Saturday. If I recall correctly, I was at work. I worked Saturday through Tuesday at the time. And I get a phone call from one of my really good girlfriends that I worked with back at Gwinnett and she was crying. And I said, what's going on? And she said that Gwinnett had had an officer involved shooting and one of their officers had died. And she didn't know the officer because, you know, like I said, it was 650 people. It's big enough to where you right. won't know everybody, but it's still your department. So it hits different when it's your department. Sure. Um, so, you know, for the next pretty much week, I am fielding calls for people that I know back in Georgia, just trying to make sure everybody's OK, um, wanting to know what I could do for anybody. I mean, I was texting people and calling people who were actually at the command post. Um, and so I just want to let them know that I knew, and it's, it's hard for me to be this far away 
from people that I'm that close to. And I just, I felt very useless to tell you the truth. Right. right. Uh, my way of helping is physically being there and helping you. And it was very hard having to listen to people cry on the phone. And so I kind of, I always tell people I have like the backdraft mentality of mm-hmm. you go, we go kind of mm-hmm. thing. So as crazy and as backwards as it sounds, if you're going to be messed up, I'm going to be messed up too. So I did what I could do, what I thought I I could do to get myself on that same emotional level everybody else at Gwinnett County was at. So I did the, you know, I did the the virtual cutting, you know, emotional cutting, if you will. I watched the funeral procession. I read every article they wrote wrote about um, Officer Antoine Tony and how well liked he was in the community. And just, you know, he'd only been on three years. You know, he'd always wanted to be a police officer. He had just turned 33 days before the shooting, I believe. And he was just, yeah, you know, an all around good guy. And, you know, I watched the funeral and I'm watching people that were my academy instructors that are now chiefs and whatnot come up and talk about this young man. And it just it broke my heart to watch his friends from his academy, you know, have to literally hold each other up while they're talking about him as their, you know, their, their best friend, their fallen brother, you know, any other title that he had is laying in front of him, you know, listen to his sister speak. It just, it just got me. And so, um, I didn't realize how much of that I had actually taken on. Um, and I think the, sp- the straw that broke the camel's back for me was listening to his, the last call. That's always, and, that's always, always difficult. I mean, it gives me chills just thinking about it anytime I say that. And, you know, as I'm watching the last call video, somebody was recording their patrol radio, like in a briefing room. And I can see and hear this officer in the distance, just like sobbing. I can only see them from the neck down and they're sobbing. And I look and I look closer and I text my friend who had called me um, originally and let me know about officer Tony's death. And I said, not to be funny, but is this you in the background of this video? And she was like, yeah, that's me. And again, that was another jab for me because I felt like I should be there holding her right. while she's going through this. Right. And so um, the following Saturday, um, I'm driving to work and um, I, my mom called me and it was something really small to do with my kids, just something small. But, you know, you got to love moms. But, you know, they mean well, but sometimes they can push your buttons at the same time. So whatever she said, just <laughs> I know kinda, what you mean, trust me. <laughs> exactly. You know, got to love them. But they, gotta, <laughs> they just know. They just know how to get us. Even right. when we're adults. And the timing is not always good, you know. <laughs> right. And so um, I'm driving to work. She said something. I didn't even say anything. I don't know if I, we got into it on the phone or not. I just remember getting off the phone. And just feeling like I was going to explode. And I just start crying and I can't breathe, but I'm on the middle of the freeway. So even though she's kind of the catalyst for the crying at that time, she's the first one I called. Um, now, are you? do you have a take-home car? Are you marked unit at this no, time? Or nope, you, I was, nope, okay. I was in my personal car. Okay. And um, I didn't call my husband first because he's asleep. He works nights. Right, so he's right. asleep. And so I call her. She wants me to come home. I don't because I'm closer to work. I end up crying all over a sergeant that was at work. And he just looks at me. He says, go home. Go home. You need to spend time with your family. So 
by this time, by the and, time and, I get home. And you needed that. You needed that. You yes. needed to go. You needed to go there and let someone tell you to go home. That's that's why that happened that and, way. And that's why I picked the sergeant that I picked. And <laughs> exactly. I'm very grateful yeah. to him, you know, until this day. And, you know, it's rare that me, my husband, my two kids, and my mom could do anything together. So by the time I get home, my husband's awake. I said, you know what? I don't want to talk about it right now. Let's go eat breakfast. Mm-hmm. So the reason why I like to mention the breakfast part is because the restaurant we went to um, was doing a fundraiser and they were partnered with the organization called the 100 club of Arizona. Okay. I know it. Yep. Yep. We have anytime, one call your County. Yes. It's great. Yes, the 100 anytime club. I see one of their fundraisers are always try to give money. And I thought it was fun because they had these man cakes they were doing in October. And one of them was called the OG. Mm-hmm. And it was just like this tower of pancakes with all this food <laughs> in between it, which was ridiculous. And I was like, this sounds fun. Let's do this. You yeah, know, it's good. It's good. So we eat, fellowship, have a good time. Well, Sunday I wake up, I don't feel myself. And I'm not one of those officers who will go to work when I'm not feeling myself. I think we do that too much to our detriment, whether it's a mental or physical thing. We all need a pause. So I took an extra pause. The sergeant was great because my sergeant was um, in a training. So he wasn't at work. Monday morning, get up. I'm like, okay, I feel good. I feel good. I'm ready to go in. So I go into work. My shift starts at um, eight o'clock. And one of my friends who was on light duty at the time, she was pregnant. I would always drop in and see her um, okay. because, you know, officers get lost in the shuffle on light duty. Let's be honest. They do. They do. Like you don't yeah. exist, yeah. you know, especially when you're pregnant. It's like the bigger your stomach gets, the smaller your intellect gets for some reason. <laughs> it's That's like, what are you doing over there? You just keep walking. Like that twice. <laughs> so she saw me and she says, hey, Linz, I noticed that, you know, you weren't at work today. Uh, and or yesterday and the day before, is everything okay? And she paused, which I thought was an interesting question to ask. She has my phone number. She could have called and be like, hey, where are you today? Or assumed I was on vacation. But she says, everything okay? Pause. I like emotionally unloaded on her that morning about everything that had been going on with me, Gwinnett County, Officer Tony, me feeling like it wasn't fair that this happened to him, somebody who wanted to be in this profession and wanted to do good and had done good in the short time he was there and had so much more to do in this career and doesn't even get a chance to address the people he was sent out to speak with on a suspicious person's call. And now he's dead. And, you know, when I saw his picture, I saw me because Gwinnett County has not changed their uniforms right. since before I was there. And I have that same academy picture posed the same way. And he was a young black officer. And it just I saw myself. So it just kind of did something to me. And I said, it's not fair. I said, I've been dodging the proverbial bullet for almost 15 years now. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. I jinxed myself. Right. Yeah. Here (laughs) here, here he has three years. Right. I jinxed myself. Yeah. No, you you did. You know, six hours later, my same friend I'm talking to in the hallway hears me being shot on the radio. Um, But the thing about that is I like to mention that part is because I got to unload a lot of emotions I was carrying with me before I went out on the road so that I wasn't caught up in my head once things got real. Right, right. You know. Yeah, that goes back to, you know, being 100%. And and I like what you said. You know, a lot of officers, a lot of, you know, people in this field go out to work and they're not a hundred percent. And you, in this mm-hmm. job, you don't really have a choice. You have to be, yep. we call it game day, right? So mm-hmm. you've got to be ready to do this job. And, and 
you know, some days are better than others, obviously, but you have to be, <laughs> right. a, you have to be a hundred percent on the swivel and ready to go. And, yeah. and to be able to recognize that is, is very mm-hmm. important. And if you can't, that's dangerous. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. And I mean, I, you know, we all know those people who love bragging about never taking a sick day. And I'm like, that means you've come to work when you shouldn't. And you've even got, you've either gotten someone else sick which put them out for a few days. And now, you know, your squad or your sister squad is suffering or you could have gotten somebody hurt that day, or you made a poor decision based on fatigue, mental fatigue, physical fatigue, whatever. So we have to be careful with that. So I'm very grateful that I got to unload that because around two 30 in the afternoon, um, you know, getting hungry, so I'm starting to float around the restaurants and I get a call from my zone partner who says, hey, I'm on this um, domestic violence call and I see that there's an order of protection that's already been put out and our officers tried to serve it twice and it's been unsuccessful. But we know the boyfriend is home because he's been texting the girlfriend because okay. he, he saw the officer at the house. Um, the boyfriend was under the impression that she had gone to work, but now he knows she's not at work. So. I said, sure, even though I'm, I'm longingly looking at the front of the restaurant I had just pulled in front of. And you know how it is. I'll just go handle this real quick. Yeah. And then, you know. We'll, the we'll knock this out real cold. quick. I'll be, I'll be sitting down eating. Exactly. And I'll be cool, so, you know. <laughs> right. So I was, the restaurant I was near, you know, you know, lovely GPS. Everybody knows where you are. So it was close to our station. And the officer who had tried to serve it, was about to get off, and he was at the station. So I said, fine, I'll go pick it up, meet my zone partner down the street with the girlfriend slash victim. Um, we look over the paperwork, and nothing stood out to us. Nothing was alarming. You know, this is a call we've done before when somebody doesn't answer, and then we have some, you know, we take somebody with us who has standing at the residence that can let us in. Right. We serve the person. They leave. N- nothing, nothing stood out, but, you know, as we all learn in law enforcement, uh, states don't like to share very well. So there was information that would have been nice to have had, had it been shared properly. But that's neither here nor there at this at this point. So we go to the house. Uh, we're walking up to the house. I remember my zone partner asked her, I believe this is the second or third time she's asked her about weapons. She says no, but just because people say no doesn't mean they're not there. And this is Arizona, and people can have firearms here. Right. Um, it's a small house, and when you face the house, there's a carport to the left, and the house, the front door is to the right, and there's a car in the carport. She walks up to the door that leads from the carport into a small laundry room, mm-hmm. and then there's another door that leads from the laundry room, and it spills out into the kitchen. So... She unlocks the door and she leans up against the washer and dryer. I remember she called his name, but she didn't go all the way in the house. So, you know how we always talk about law enforcement, like the hair on the back of your neck standing yep. up? That's six cents. And, you know, it's it's right. And like, but it was happening too fast for me to articulate it. And it's funny because when I talked to my zone partner later, she had the same thoughts. But it was just we couldn't say it to one another. So I just I remember thinking that was odd only because anytime I've been on an order of protection where a man is being put out, the woman is standing front and center like, I'm going to watch you pack your little bag and get out of my house. But that didn't happen. So I was like, OK. So she so as, just so I get it correct. So you're she's kind of opens the door and just steps in and then steps off to the side. Is that kind of right? She's just she's right. just standing. She's not going up. through. 
She didn't go in the house. Right. She was right there. Got like, it. In right the there. Room. Got it. My zone partner walks past her. And as I'm starting to walk past her, my zone partner with her left hand takes out her flashlight. And I'm thinking it's almost three o'clock in the afternoon in Arizona uh, where this place does not believe in clouds. It's always bright here. Why is she taking out a flashlight? And as soon as that thought went, I stepped into the house and I see because the house is pretty much dark. Right. Right. Um, now, in Arizona, we do love our blackout curtains here. Sure, sure. So, you know, that could have been part of it. But it was October and it was a little cooler. So you don't need to use them quite as much. But I just remember it being just un- it was an uneasy feeling of how dark it was in the house. And again, right as that thought leaves my head, I hear my zone partner speaking and because she's addressing a male that's coming up a hallway that I can't see because she was a little further into the kitchen than I was. So she could see at an angle that I couldn't. And there's a man slowly walking towards us, you know, not walking fast, didn't seem to be upset, um, had his hands in his pockets and she announced while we were there. Um, we need to discuss something and told him to take his hands out of his pockets. And he was probably within about six feet of us and he took his hands out of his pockets and out came a black six shot revolver. And you know, did you see when, did you see it, Lindsay? Did you see the guy? I saw it. And it was it was weird because I saw it, but I didn't see it, if that makes any sense. Right, it, was it was like my like, brain is like, is that? And then my other brain was like, it is. You yeah, know, yeah, 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 like, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, I tell people like my we train brain We my, train those all the time, you know, we do that in right. the fats and all that, but it's like this is this is like happening yeah. now. It's, and your brain and your mind are doing two different things is what mm-hmm. I always tell people. My brain is, okay training muscle memory so i start to draw because i hear the first shot pop off and he just like came across to like from his right to to left shooting and the first shot i honestly thought my zone partner had got shot in the face and so i hear that the girlfriend runs out of the door i'm doing as we're trained which is to move and draw but as soon as I do that, I feel a sting and numbness in my right hand. Okay. I don't know what it is. I didn't realize I had the shot yet. It just hurt. Now you left, are you I, left-handed or right-handed? I'm right-handed. Okay. Don't you love that? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, 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 yeah. And I, so girlfriend runs out the door. I run out behind her. Thank goodness that door was cracked still because that could have been a disaster had that we got caught up in that tiny um, laundry room without no way and, to get out. Yeah. Yes. And as I'm running, he's behind me. The boyfriend slash suspect is behind me. He shoots, he fires again where I got shot in my left arm. So it went, it entered the back of my arm and came out the front of my arm. Okay. I did not feel that one at the time. Um, and then I don't, I got shot in the back as well. Now I don't know the sequence of shots because my partner was able to return fire. And um, he had his arm outreached behind me. And for what I understand, he was about two feet behind me, like two steps behind me. And he it sounds like maybe he was kind of turned to the side so that his um, left side was kind of angled back towards the house. Right. Because he did shoot back at the house. That bullet went into the door jam. My partner returned fire when he was at that angle. It went into his left side out of the front, out of his chest and into his outreached arm. Okay. Right arm. Wow. 
And um, so he was kind of like in between you two in a way, right? Right. So, yeah. Yeah. Because so, she was in the house. Yeah, and you were you were going her. you were going out to the front, and she was yes. still at the house. I got gotcha. you. And when I got hit in the back, I got hit on the lower left side of my vest. Um, and when I say I got hit on the lower side, it was literally the seam of the Kevlar. I'll have to show you pictures one day. It's crazy. Um, and so I took a lot of the energy instead of my vest taking it Mm -hmm. and it's right over my kidney. So what happens? My legs buckle, right? So I fall dead weight to the right. Um, him getting shot caused him to run to the left. Um, apparently he ran up a couple houses, took a left, hopped in somebody's backyard. He had one more bullet left in his six shot revolver and he killed himself. Um, meanwhile, uh, when I fell, my partner says I was not down long. She says, I saw you go down and pop back up. Cause she says, I thought I had shot you in the back. Like that's how closely they shot. Right. Right their firearm she says i thought i had shot you and i said girl had you done that we still would be friends <laughs> like it is <laughs> like, it's, we're it's, fine it's a firefight at that point yeah. yeah so but when i was down on the ground i mean my body camera fell off when i hit the ground but you could tell i was down and i popped back up right but it felt like a strong 60 seconds to me that i was on the ground and um i remember three very distinct thoughts going through my head uh, the first one, I won't curse, but the first one was I'm paralyzed because I couldn't feel my legs for a second. Mm-hmm. Um, the next one was where is he? Because I don't want to look over my shoulder and get shot in the face. Mm-hmm. And then the next thing is, you know, the words they always tell you in Academy is you make sure you go home. And so, you know, at the time, my daughter was a year. My son was four. I have a husband and I remember saying to myself, and again, I'm not going to curse, but B I T C H get up. (laughs) That's what I said. You have to be motivational sometimes. I am going to survive this. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Like get up because you have a family to go home to. So good for you. I got up, I took off running. I got to, I found cover behind a tree and again, muscle memory kicks in. So what do I do? I bring the hurt arm to my chest. I reach across with my left hand to grab my firearm no firearm. So you want to talk about a pucker factor, right? Yeah. 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 I can't um, even imagine. Had I not messed myself when I got hit in the back, which I fully expected that to happen, but I did, I did not do that. That should have been the time because I was kind of dazed. I didn't even know where my partner was. And then I assumed she had gone after him because you know, she's, she's a, she's a, she's a tough officer. And I'm like, I have to go, I need to be with them. Like I can't leave her right, by herself. Right. And you know, you, you know how it is you get in a foot chase or a fight and your radio comes off and it's swinging everywhere. You got to try to catch it. That was me with yeah. a bloody hurt hand trying to figure out what's what, and my hearing is trying to come back. And I was doing this weird back and forth dance on Oh my goodness, I dropped it in the house. I had to have. I got shot in the arm. I dropped it in the house. Do I go back in the house? But I don't know where he is. And so I've got kind of stuck in that OODA loop, back and forth, back and forth. And the thing that got me out of that was hearing sirens come. Okay. Um, okay. It was a double squad day. Officers were just up the street. And once I heard the sirens, I was like, okay, you can't take literally one arm to a gunfight. You're, you're done. You have just, to tap out. Help is coming. Right. 
Do, who, who, who got the radio contact to dispatch? I mean, how, how did, did you get it or did, did you partner? Um, well, her? my partner did and okay. she was very calm. I was not, um, when I heard, the well, radio you got, he went later. down pretty hard. I mean, I, what, you, still, what can you expect? Someone, yeah. someone told me I found it really calm on the radio. We go to our debrief. I hear the radio traffic, and I said, "Who is that lady screaming like that?" Yeah. And I was like, "Oh, that's me." That, that would be not- that would be me too. <laughs> Who is that lady? No, that's Tim. It's not Lee. It's, I would be right. screaming too on the radio. Right? You have a you have a deep voice. Exactly. I'd still so be screaming. What, I'd be like, what? I was like, "Huh? That." is not what someone told me that day. Okay. So I had to kind of process that. And so my partner, she got on the radio immediately. Um, I got out from what I remember, because I've only heard the radio traffic once. Um, I got out on the radio as best I could, trying to give as much information as I could. And um, like I said, I I tell people, um, I don't recommend getting shot, first of all, because it's not fun. But I was very thankful for the time of day it happened and the location um, because it was off of one of our main corridors that we patrol often. Right. It was a double squad day. And we were right down the street from one of our substations where our canine units tend to be. Um, and officers take lunch and report right in the whole nine yards. So if I recall correctly from the CAD uh, comments. I believe the first officer that got to me got there within about 60 to 90 seconds. Wow. Yeah. Because he was just sitting literally. If I had looked out from the driveway of that house, I probably could have seen where his car was at the 7-Eleven. Yeah. I mean, in, I've been there. You're mashing the gas. I mean, there's nothing yes. going to get in your way. <laughs> You're yeah. going to be there yeah. really quick. Yeah. Did it, did yeah. it feel like it was a long time? And It's crazy because... And again, until I, a lot of what I'm telling you, I've always had to tell people, a lot of what I'm telling you, I'm not telling you from memory. I'm telling you from half memory and what I saw on body cam footage. Right. Because the shooting itself was maybe three and a half seconds. But it felt slow and it felt fast. And you got shot three times. Yes. And my partner got shot once, you know, in the arm that she had the um, flashlight in. Um, I'm thankful. I mean, I'm sure she, and she's thankful for the position that her arm was in because it went in her bicep and out, you know, her shoulder, mm-hmm. not causing any major damage, luckily. And, you know, it just it happened just that quick. And like I said, your brain and your mind are trying to get on the same page because my brain, you know, is like survival mode. Let's do this. Adrenaline's dumping. Everything's moving. And my mind is like, but I really wanted that rice bowl. Like that's all I wanted was to eat. Like, that how did is we unbelievable get here? how you, how those <laughs> things come through. Just, yeah, yeah, and so it was just it was weird, and I just remember uh, watching well, the second officer's body camera, and I I feel like I don't look like or sound like myself sitting in the grass um, down the street, and I just kept repeating like he shot me. Like he took he like he shot me. Like they didn't believe me. You know what I mean? Right, 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 and, right. The, the crazy thing is stunned. I just got my f- – right, big time because – and the other thing I kept repeating is my mother – this is great. My mother's going to freak out. My mom's going to make me quit my job. This is nice because I had just gotten off the phone with her before I pulled up to that call. Isn't it crazy the things that go through your mind, you know, is like – especially when you're under stress. Yeah, you know, so, you know, there was a lot of sweating, a lot of cursing, a lot of apologizing, 
then bleeding, then cursing, then sweating, then yeah. apologizing. <laughs> and so, you know, my one of my squad mates, he was with me and he's putting tourniquets on me. He says, you don't have to apologize. And I was like, I know, but it hurts so bad. And it seemed to hurt worse once I got to the staging point down sure, the street. Sure, sure. And Wait, now, um, let me ask you this. When you got shot, because I'm sure everybody asked you the same thing, did you... Mm-hmm. When did you realize you actually, I mean, you kind of told us a little bit, but when did you actually realize, like, holy shit, I, I'm, I'm, I got hit? Oh, we can curse? Listen. Now, yeah, this I is 239 Uncensored. We Lord, can... okay. Well, yeah. I could have been saying some things, but no. Um, <laughs> Bring <laughs> when, it. When, well, as I was running, once I got up and as I was running um, to cover, and I remember looking down at my arm and I, I, you know, shit gets real when you can see white meat in your arm. You know what I'm saying? When you see that tissue and you have to put pressure on your own wound. And it went it went through and through on my right arm. So I'm looking at a hole Could and you, like a little like, depression. Yeah, you must have just looked like, holy shit. What, yeah, well, and I happen? mean, my arm looked broken. Like I've never broken a bone, but it looked, it was crooked. And I'm looking at my arm like, that's not right. Like that's not the way that should be. And so my left arm, I didn't even know I was shot there until the first officer got there and started checking me. And, um, I was more concerned about my back because my back hurt so badly that you could, you couldn't convince me I wasn't shot in my back. And I kept doing this thing of, if you've ever tried to put a jacket on a small child and they keep offering you the wrong arm, yeah, and they and you 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 turn they turn. That's kind of what it looked like because every time they turned me back around to check another part, I kept turning around. I'm like, no, I have to have a gaping hole in my back, and I'm. I mean, you couldn't convince me because the pain. But I'm, I, right. Tim, I put my hand in my back, and I'm bringing it back, and there's no blood on it. But I'm like, there has to be right. because it hurt just that badly, and. um I joke that with me and my partner, because she's petite and fit, and I've had two kids, so I'm not as fit as I used to be. So <laughs> I joke that my fat arm saved me, and her fit arm saved her. <laughs> because... Well, yeah, I'm, I'm sure you're in good, great shape, you know. But did you guys back then? Did you guys? I, I know because just in the last couple of years, these tourniquets for officers started mm-hmm. coming. Did you have one on your? Self or did did they try to apply those or did everybody get there so quick you didn't have time to get to that point? No, I um I had one on me and I never thought never occurred to me too quick. That's, that's yeah. how you know what I mean. That's how I was like yeah I was definitely in shock because the thought never occurred to me. My partner, meanwhile, you know she was still in the house which I didn't know for you know several minutes before you know everything was clear and she was able to come out. She applied her own tourniquet herself, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and it, meanwhile the other my other squad mate he just happened to carry two. Wow, so he applied great. both of those to me, and when I found out she had applied her own tourniquet, I'm like, oh, Lindsay, you're such a loser. Like, what happened? Like, <laughs> you got hit three this. times, Lindsay. You got we hit three times. About, I don't know we talked about this. We've done this training. Like, yeah. they put on a very good training at my department about this and uh, applying it to yourself, and yeah. I didn't even think about it. Didn't even uh, think I get a paper it. cut, and I'm down, you know, so, right. you know, think about it. You're tough. <laughs> you're tough, you know? Uh, that's it. That's it. So, so everybody got there. Backup was there. Obviously, mm-hmm. you, you know, your everything was going probably really fast, and then it probably yeah. slowed down a little bit. Now, mm-hmm. tell us about like, you know, when you took off and to the hospital and the response, and kind of when you get to the hospital, maybe a little bit about that. 
I so I didn't even want to leave the staging area until I saw my partner. Um, and I mean, the ambulance was there, but I kept asking for her. And then I saw one of our sergeants, um, you know, jamming it into the parking lot. He jumps out. He gives me eye contact, like, are you okay? And then he opens the door and they're out. She walks. And I was like, okay, we're good. Like me and her locked eyes. You okay? You okay? Cool. We can go to the hospital. So we're all all out of here. We're going. They start pulling stuff off of me. Uh, My other squad mate that was with me, you know, um, he's pulling off my belt and everything like that. And they're snatching stuff and cutting stuff. Because, you know, the fire department, they love to cut. Oh, yeah. Everything. Even though I'm telling them, do not cut my pants or my socks. I'm fine from the waist down. And they're like, nope. And they cut my socks. These are my favorite socks because I have plantar fasciitis in my right foot now. And I need those socks. And they cut them off. And I'm like, you could have just pulled those off. They block traffic so, and cut shit off. That's you know, what they but do. I'm sorry. I, you know, that's just, I just, that's something I'm still working through in, in therapy right there. Because, although I did see that, that, uh, that rig that responded to me. And I know it's got to be very different to have to respond to somebody you're used to working with. Yeah. And okay. now they're working on me. So I've got, I've gotten to see them. I thank them. And I did ask them about my socks, but I will move on. Um, so, <laughs> We We might get them for Christmas one day. Yes. We get in the ambulance and, um, you know, things are rocking and rolling. The pain is really kicking in. And, like, you know, we've all heard those studies where they talk about, you know, once you're out of danger or you have that adrenaline dump, the pain kicks in because your body's no longer in the same state of survival mode that you were in before. So now the pain kicks in. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. So I'm begging for pain meds. I'm trying to do my hypnobirthing relaxation exercises for when <laughs> I was in labor with my daughter, which it worked. I will tell you Good. the visualization and the deep breathing, but you're in the back of the ambulance being knocked around and something would lo- make me lose my concentration. So I'm doing that. And then they said, we have to get vitals before we give you pain meds. And I said, why? Like, I'm in pain, and like, we've got to get vitals. They're like, well, my blood pressure is going to be high because I'm in pain. Just give me, give me the good stuff, something please. Something now. So then I said, wait a minute. Before you do that, I said, I have to make a phone call. I said, I have to call my husband, like, right now. And they're like, well, no, 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 no. We'll wait till we get to the hospital. I'm sure. I said, no, no, no. Like, this will be on the news. Not only did, you know, my department have two officers shot, but you had two females get shot. Yeah. Yeah, that's going to be on the news. I have to make a phone call because my family cannot find out on the news like that can't happen. So um, luckily, I had my department issued phone in my pocket, which I would rarely have that on me because I hated people just being able to get in contact with me whenever they want. So (laughs) normally I would have my personal cell on me. That was still in my duty bag. I had my um, my cell phone. I remember one of the paramedics raising it up and saying, Hey dude, does this belong to you? And the guy says, no. And I looked, and I said, Oh, it's mine. So with my left arm, you know, we're rocking and rolling. I said, Nope. I make a phone call. My husband didn't answer. Like I said, he works nights. Um, I, then I called my brother, uh, and you know, my brother, he's a real estate agent. Yep, so, he has, you know, yeah, he has a, a fairly flexible schedule. So he always answers because that could be a bunny call. Yes, I'm good for yes, referrals. Yes. I'm still waiting on, you know, my little cut from him, but it's fine. I'll get over it. Um, so, I'll send you some business. Thank you. So, um, he says, I, I tell him, you know, Hey, um, I'm just letting you know, 
I'm okay, but I just got shot three times and I'm on the way to uh, the hospital. Yeah. He must so, have freaked out. Well, it's funny because while the phone is ringing both times while calling my husband and calling my brother, I'm thinking to myself, like, how do I say this? Like, I've thought about it. I'm okay, but I got shot three times. Yeah. Then they're just going to. Right. Yeah. I, but I've never really rehearsed it. So no. my brother paused and he says, Who shot you? I said, Boy, does it matter? I'm just <laughs> telling you what happened. And then he kind of shakes out of it. And he You're says, right. um, have, have you called your mother? Now, we have the same mother, but we say your mother. Sure. And I said, no, I'm the oldest. I'm pulling rank. That's your job. Click. So I then call my husband back. He answers the phone. I deliver the same message to him. Um, I had to let him wake up because he's not one of those people that just wakes right up out of a sleep. Mm. So I said, did you hear what I said? And he says, uh, yes. I said, are you Okay. He says, yes. I said, do I need to call anybody to come to you? He says, no. And he's, I know You're in crisis. He's, and he's like, get out of bed. Right. Later, he's like, why were you asking me so many questions? Like, you're trying to take care of me. Like, I, I said, I'm just, I want to make sure That's you're Lindsay. okay. That's Lindsay. You know? Yeah. So um, he gets to the hospital. Um, well, we get, I, I, me and my partner get to the hospital. You know, you're in trauma and everything. And they're snatching stuff off and the whole nine yards. And then uh, my, the then chief, uh, Sylvia Moyer, she comes in to the trauma room where they're snatching and cutting and hooking me up to stuff. And, you know, she, she's short. So she gets on her tippy toes and she kind of looks me right in the eye and she says, you know, I love you. Right. And I was like, I love you too, but can you ask them for some pain meds? <laughs> like, chief, chief. <laughs> help me out. Like literally throw your, your, your rank around right Get now me because something. I need this. So she keeps trying to cover me up. And I said, well, I mean, you know, I, like when you're in pain, like I don't want to be touched when I'm in pain. Right. And I'm sweating and I'm like, this is like, stop. I said, why are you touching me, chief? And she's like, I'm just trying to make sure you're covered up. They're pulling stuff. And I said, ma'am, no disrespect, but I hurt. I've had two babies. When you're in pain, you don't care who sees what. I was still <laughs> breastfeeding my daughter at the time. Uh. Sometimes people see parts of my body. They maybe don't want to, but I don't <laughs> care right now. Just get me some pain meds. Uh. So we get all that going. And then you know, I'll never forget the look on my husband's face when he came to my trauma bay once he got there. And, you know, I, I always tell people I married a caveman. You know, my husband, he wants to protect. He wants to provide. He's a very, very simple guy. He's an introvert compared to me. Right. But he loved the first time. I would say the second time. The second time I've seen him look like that. The first time was when I had to have an emergency C-section with my son. Mm -hmm. And it's that feeling. He's a caveman. So he... I, I'm sure in that moment felt helpless, yeah. you know, and yeah. where's, where's the bad monster that I can fight, but I can't because it's not here. So, um, and at this point, at this point days, though, you did not to cut you off at this point, you did no. not know what was the deal with the suspect at this point. I or didn't, did you? Yeah. I, did, I, I didn't know that until a few hours later gotcha. when I was waiting to go into surgery. So, right. um, you know, we just, you know, once he saw that I had pain meds, so I was talking and I was laughing he, he tells me all the time, he says, all of his worry just melted away at that point. Right. Um, you know, my mom and my brother get there. Uh, me and my, my brother, uh, my brother Chico, who lives uh, here um, in Arizona, uh, he, um, the first thing he asked me was, do you have unclean underwear? 
<laughs> and I was like, oh, it's a fear when you get in a crash or something like that. Right. I'm like, boy, it doesn't matter. And I look at my bop, husband, bop, Jason, bop. and I'm like, Jason, did you hear what he just said? Like, why is this a thing? So then I'm wondering where my mother is because my mom and my brother had written together. And I keep looking at my brother like, where is your mother? And he's like, I don't know. I dropped her off at the emergency entrance. And then I went to go park the car. Well, come to find out there was some sort of miscommunication and who could come to my trauma bay. Right. Somehow it was miscommunicated that only my husband can come. Oh, and my mom thinks that she's walking in. And, you know, it's emotional. You see a a crowd full of police officers, Scottsdale, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and, and Tempe and whoever else was there. Mm-hmm. Cause Scott, I was taken to a hospital in Scottsdale, which is a neighboring city to Tempe. Bruce Scioli. He's a commander there at Scottsdale. Yes. He was my roommate yes. at the FBI yes. Academy and he told me mm-hmm. he was there and yes. he goes, yeah, I was there. I was there. I, you know, mm-hmm. I was crazy in Scottsdale yeah. and you know, he's, he, he knew everything about it. So Scottsdale did a good job. I yeah. Mean, Bruce, so many Bruce a great guy. Yeah. 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 So I imagine so it was probably was packed. Great. It was probably packed. Oh, it, but yeah, it was packed. And I was surprised to see how many Scottsdale officers were there and yeah. fire and everything. And so, um, luckily we were in a medical facility because as my mom storms in and they tell her she can't get past, she looks at one of our commanders and is like, what do you mean? I can't get past. She said, that's my baby in there. Like, you don't know me like that. And she <laughs> impact pushes the commander. <laughs> and oh, so, mothers. And unfortunately, she passed out. She hit her head. So she while I'm waiting for her, out? she like, passed out, boom. hit her head oh, on the railing, on the wall. And she ends up having to go and get a CT scan. So that was that's what was taking her so long. Oh. So by the time she gets to me, she's in a wheelchair. So, you know, it's crazy. You know, in and out, everybody's there. I end up going into surgery that night, um, and they put a rod uh, and six screws into my right forearm because the bullet had broken my radius bone. Mm. So, and then I spent three days in the hospital. Do you so, know, did you ever find out what type of rounds? I think you maybe said it, but do you, was it, you know, nine millimeter? Um, probably 38, top, maybe? You don't know? I believe it was a 38. Um Obviously, with I, so, a yeah, with a it was a revolver, I guess. So that would that would make sense. Was, yeah, yeah. And luckily, the ammo was not good. I mean, I, I would tell you that. I mean, when when I was told about the gun, like if you could think of the most stereotypical throwdown gun, right. Like from a movie, yeah. Um, you know, rusty revolver, junk, stuff yeah. scratched off. Yep, tape on the handle. That was it. And luckily, there Thank was crappy God. ammo in it. Thank so, God. so yeah. as as you as we know now, um, or maybe not. We, t- we as we discussed that you since have you know worked yourself up to where you're you're feeling pretty good. Um, mm-hmm. However, we talked about your recent retirement and kind yes. of your medical situation with that and your ability not to be able to come back fully. I mean, this is a whole other episode, but give us a little rundown on how you're doing now. You know, a little bit about how you're feeling. Um, mm-hmm. Your recent retirement, and by the way, I was. In the middle of, I saw your your post on Facebook, and I was had teared up. I was in the middle of mm-hmm. writing that. My dad just passed away as I was right. kind of in the time. I thought I sent it, and I didn't. But it was I, I was like it was like your last day, and when you had that last radio call, it was that was a tough one. <laughs> that was and, tough. You know, no, I mean it was tough. It's emotional for everybody, and you know, I had been obviously you had been been on my mind as well with your dad and everything, and so. Um, I, so I'm in a good place overall. I will tell people, Mm -hmm. um, I, it it wasn't 
I didn't like the decision because it, I knew it was coming. But once the doctor said it, like, hey, you've reached maximum improvement, um, I'm not going to be able to send you back full duty. I was like, wow, okay. So I became upset because it wasn't my choice to walk away from law enforcement. Mm-hmm. It was someone else's choice that was made that were made that day that affected my life, my partner's life, my department, you, anybody who knew me the same way officer Tony's um, incident affected me. Mm-hmm. And so um, I just, I had to become one with it. You know, I've, I still see a therapist. So me and my therapist have talked it over mm-hmm. and um, I could have pushed the medical retirement issue and stayed, but I'm right-handed. I've lost some mobility in my right hand. I uh, lost, you know, some muscle, some range of motion and other things. I'm still in physical therapy and I just didn't feel like it was worth it to put myself, an officer or a citizen in danger because I was trying to prove something. Plus um, you got a family. You got, you know, you got a family. That, and you know, exactly. That's it. And I don't you know, wanna... you got two young kids and you got mm-hmm. a husband that cares about you and, yep. you know, no matter yeah. what, you know, you don't get too many chances. In this I know. I agree. So, and know. I don't, I don't want to put them through that again. I mean, it definitely rocked my family and, um, I, you know, it's, it's not fair to them. And I really, the reality of it is, you know, I needed my, I would need my arm to work as fast as it did that day or faster. Right. So once I became one with the decision, you know, it's, it is a surreal experience because a lot of people get time to plan out their retirement where mine was very abrupt because I technically had another 10 years here in the system before I hit my 20 to retire. So, um, but you know what, it, it, you, you shift, you know, you zig when life zags and I was already on peer support at Tempe, uh, PD and I, you know, sitting on light duty, which I hate it being tied to a desk, but it allowed me the chance to be a stationary peer support person. So people knew where they could find me. I'm so I would get good. people, you know, to drop by and, you know, everything from, Hey, can I run something by you to people like already in crisis? Right, so right. it kind of gave me a new direction. And so, um, I have become a volunteer at Tempe PD so I can stay on peer support. Um, I have done a couple of, you know, like, you know, like your podcast, I've done a couple of other podcasts just talking about the internet and the healing that I've done and I'm still doing. And, um, I'm actually going to a, um, peer support training in Oklahoma city at the end of this month. So, you know, life has kind of put me on a different path. Um, Something else I I forgot to mention um, earlier is I think another reason why I'm doing um, better than I thought I would be is because prior to the shooting, I had been doing some some self-care stuff that I didn't realize was going to help me now. Um, You know, just taking care of myself mentally, physically. I've been diagnosed with postpartum depression after I had my daughter in 2017. Mm -hmm. So, Mm -hmm. you know, getting help for that and eating better, sleeping better, spending better time with myself and with my family and um, just holding myself accountable um, emotionally, because here I am telling people how to live their life on calls and I'm not doing the same things I'm telling them to do. And I began to feel like a hypocrite. And that, that's, and that's law enforcement. You know, a lot of people yeah. have that yeah. same issue, those no, same is. issues. So, yeah. 
Yeah. I think that's, I always like to mention that piece because I think we have to do a better job in law enforcement of taking care of ourselves, you know, because you change your oil in your car, you get tune-ups, you rotate the tires, because if you don't, there'll be a catastrophic failure, and we don't do that for ourselves. And sometimes we don't get to come back from those breakdowns that we have. You know, we know what suicide looks like in the law enforcement community and stuff. So we have to offload that somewhere, and we have to make that a normal part of law enforcement. So I like telling people, yeah, I see a therapist. I was seeing a therapist before the shooting. Yes, yeah. I've been diagnosed with postpartum depression, you know? And we've come a long way in law enforcement because I remember the days where mm-hmm. um, I'm not going to talk to anybody. You crazy. Yeah. Now we, we, <laughs> right. we kind of make you do it. And then before you get in there, everybody's like, oh, I'm glad I went, you know? And yeah. hey, yeah. you know, we've we've really come a long way, you know, with, with all I the agree. training and things like that. So it's improved. Um, yes. Let me ask you this. Um, Yes. Just regress a little bit. Do you do you feel that the agency was good and they gave you what you needed? Is there some things that they could improve on? It's kind of a two part question because you know we're always trying to find ways to make things better for our members. Well, you know what I will say, I had a great experience with my department. I know that doesn't always happen because I've gone to support groups and spoken to officers and stuff, and it's it's not a unilateral experience. Right. Um, but my department, I mean, I, I can't even tell you the amount of help, meals, calls, emails, text messages, everything that I got. I mean, even with peer support, peer support was great. I have not one complaint about peer support. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, I had so much peer support. I had to tell a couple of people to stop calling me. <laughs> you know, was like, hey, are you all right? Hey, you all right? You doing all right? Yeah, like yeah. I'm good. Like, I mean, they assigned people to my family members, including yeah. my brother, yeah. you know? And so I can't ask for anything better. The only thing I suggested we, we, we maybe work on or something to think about is I wasn't prepared to talk to my then four-year-old about what had happened to me. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. And it didn't come, you know, it came up in a very innocent, childlike way of, you know, he sees me in the hospital. My husband told him I got in a fight at work, which is not untrue. We right. just didn't tell him what type of fight I got into. Right. Um, and that's that's what he knew. Mommy broke her arm mm-hmm. in a fight. Um, and then he thought, he asked me if I was going to die. And I said, no, why? Because I was hooked up to a wound vac. And he's, I said, they're just taking the bad blood out. And he's like, this place is a vampire hospital. How does that work, mom? Yeah. Like he said, they're <laughs> taking blood. This is definitely a vampire hospital. Yeah. And yeah, I was like, okay. Yeah. So that was, that was something new. And then, you know, my daughter, she was about, she was one and a half. I mean, she was still nursing. So that's all she really cared about. Yeah, so she, exactly. didn't, she didn't know one way or the other, but as kids get older, they ask more detailed questions. And so luckily my therapist specializes in children as well. Okay. So I got to have a conversation with her. She said, just tell him, just be honest, answer whatever questions he has. And I did. And plus when he saw the wounds on my arm, he says, you have two holes in your arm. Are you sure the bad guy didn't just shoot you? (laughs) And my stomach dropped because again, like I, not something I was prepared to talk yeah. about. So they can figure it been, out. They can figure it out. Yeah. yeah. No, that's been an emotional roller coaster yeah. there, but everybody's doing better and the department did great. And um, something I like to tell officers though, if they're having a negative experience with their peer support, they need that needs to be known. Um, you don't always know what you need after a critical incident, but you can always put your finger on what's not working for you. So sometimes I hear people complain about what all their peer support did not do. And my question is, 
Well, did you tell them? That's a good point. That's a real good you point. Know? Yeah, that's a real because good point. What I need and what Tim needs is two different things. Even mm-hmm. if we're present, like me and my partner mm-hmm. were present for the same event, but we've internalized that very differently. And the help that we've needed has been very different. Mm-hmm. So we have to do better about being advocates for ourselves because the department needs to know so that they can change things, so that they can be more effective when these things happen. Yeah. Well, and you know, in talking to you, and this kind of brings up the last, the last question, but in talking to you, I mean, the shooting is one thing, but just our discussion, you have so much to offer. And I'm, I'm sure you've been told that a thousand times. You have so much to <laughs> offer. And just going through this experience and just being able to talk to people. And, you know, my conversations with you have been like, okay, I need to look at how we're doing things. And, mm-hmm. you know, you kind of uplift me. And <laughs> just think about the people that know you even even better and the things that you can do for people in your own agency. Um, with that being said, I mean, what does your future hold? I mean, what are your plans and aspirations? I think you told me you're studying for some from more college. You know, <laughs> you, probably, you know, what yeah. what do you what, what do you want to be when you grow up? That's Basically, a good question. <laughs> so no, it's funny because I I just in the last few years have figured out I wanted to get my master's in counseling. Awesome. Um, so I'm looking into that right now. Uh, the peer support thing is definitely a passion of mine. Um, I, I can still help people, but in a different way, you know, right now though, I get to spend time with my family. I get to like, you know, as corny as it sounds, I get to volunteer at my son's school That's awesome. and stuff I couldn't do before. Um, you know, I get to see my husband longer than two seconds before he goes off to work because right. we were always two ships passing in the night. Mm-hmm. And, um, so just kind of focusing on my family right now and doing what, I feel like doing, you know, so like the training I just did last week, which is great. Um, things like this, you know, podcast interviews and presentations and a few other public speaking things that I've gotten the opportunity to do, uh, which if you had asked me three years ago, if you think I'd be standing in front of, you know, a group of people talking about anything really personal, I'd be like, uh, not really. So it's kind of, there's been these things that have just kind of been put in my path here and there. And I, I have the freedom to explore them now, but I think, you know, helping people has always been a passion of mine. And Mm -hmm. I think, you know, that's the direction I would like to continue in. And what kind of helped was when I made that, you know, I made it Facebook official about my medical retirement Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. people started responding. And even the things people said during my retirement ceremony, you don't always view yourself the way others view you. And I thought the nice things I was doing for people was just out of the kindness in my heart and being nice. But I found out that some of these, what I thought were small gestures to me were big gestures to somebody else. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so it was very humbling and it kind of helped, you know, guide my direction and being like, you know what, I need to get back into school. I need to do some counseling and, um, you know, as public speaking engagements come up, I would love to do them and continue to be a voice for officers and who've been through something um, and to help people walk through the process of even a medical retirement, because that can be stressful. Absolutely. So, you know, just anywhere I can help, that's basically what I've been doing, but it's nice because now it's on my own time. Yeah, no, that's, that's just a good thing. And, you know, obviously there's a, a bigger plan, you know, and, and everything, uh-huh. I think everything in life happens for the reasons they do. And obviously you've been put in a situation to be able to impact people's lives. You already have. And then now you're going to be able to impact them in a different way. But I think probably even 
great greater you know so it's just one of those things and if you feel good about you know going and and talking and doing those things and again there's reasons why you have the strength to be able to get on a podcast or get in front of people Uh and explain this because it truly makes a difference in people's lives but i I can't thank you enough and you got to promise me now you're not going to just be a one-time person on my podcast you're going to have to be i'm building a studio (laughs) we're going to have a good time with this um you know anything you know just love i I love love the the vibe and energy so make sure you're on as much as yeah come on come on i'll get you taken care of no problem i'd love to do an in-studio thing or even you know i'm just putting this out there you know if your department's looking for anybody to speak at an academy or any sort of officer training or in-service, you know, I am happy to to do that. I think that's something, you know, we, we should share more stories about what we go through and not just the critical incident, but, you know, what was happening before a critical incident and after, because, you know, we've all heard critical incidents. They're not that they're not important and they're not interesting, but I think the before and after are just as important. Yeah, absolutely. Very much so. Very much so. Uh-huh. Well, Lindsay, thank you so much. I, I, I want to have you on and just, I could sit here and talk forever. Um, <laughs> believe it or not, you've got the record for the longest podcast, which I love. Oh, no. <laughs> no, I it's great. I'm sorry. No, I love it. I love it. <laughs> so I, I want to just keep it, you know, keep going and, and keep talking, but I really appreciate it. So 239 Uncensored. And uh, guess what? We are out. Please make sure to download and listen to us on Apple, Spotify, and Google Podcast. And don't forget to like and share on social media. This has been a Studio 239 production.